0: RANJANAM NITYAM ANANTA ROOPAM BHAKTANUKAM PADRITA VIGRAHAM VAY ISHAVATARAM PARAMESHA MIDYAM TAMRAMAKRISHNAM SHIRASANAMAM JANANIM SARADAM DEVIM Ramakrishnam Jagat Gurum Padapadme Tayo Sridhva Pranamami Muhurmu muhu. Namasri Yati Rajaya Vivekananda Surai Satchid Sukhaswarupaya, Varupaya Swami <clears throat> Namaskar. Uh, Namaskar. So today we are going to uh, start a new chapter on Karma Yoga. The, the chapter three. Uh, the chapter is, the title of the chapter is The Secret of Work. The Secret of Work. Uh, in this chapter, at the very beginning, the first few paragraphs, you will find that Swami Vivekananda is dealing with the idea of help, that how we can help others, uh, that our service can be of three types, the physical, intellectual, and spiritual. And he will, at the very beginning, try to just bring this point that the spiritual help is the highest help. Next comes intellectual help. And generally the service which we provide whenever there is flood, whenever there is any natural calamity or uh, when we are going out, reaching out to serve the poor, all those helps are generally the physical help. So they, Uh, are the mostly prevalent help but that's the the lowest type of help so the physical the intellectual and the spiritual the physical help is of course something uh, very much necessary but that comes as the very foundation better than that is the intellectual and still better is the spiritual help and uh, we will just uh, for, for the very beginning start referring to the text and then we will gradually come to the discussion, the point which is bringing into the the picture. Swami Vivekananda while discussing these three types of help uh, what are the uh, points he is discussing that we will gradually uh, discuss as we go to the text. The secret of work. Helping others physically by removing their physical needs, is indeed great. But the help is great according to the need is greater, and according as the help is far-reaching. If a man's wants can be removed for an hour, it is helping him indeed. If his wants can be removed for a year, it will be more help to him. But if his wants can be removed forever, it is surely the greatest help that can be given to him. So as we were speaking that the gradations of the help, the service, that point he's gradually bringing into the picture. Spiritual knowledge is the only thing that can destroy our miseries forever. Any other knowledge Satisfies once only for a time. So we will find reference to this is in Bhagavad Gita. In the sixth chapter, the 22nd sloka of Bhagavad Gita, where Bhagavan is stating the, the this idea, Yang Ladhuha Chāparam Labham Manyate Nādhikam Tata Yes yasmin yang cha aparang labhang tata. having gained that state one does not consider any attainment to be greater so that is the highest and what happens once established in that nothing can shake you one is not shaken even in the midst of the greatest calamity So that's the idea which we find in the Bhagavad Gita in the 6th chapter, the 22nd Sloka, where Bhagavan is stating the same idea which is referred to as if by Swami Vivekananda here in his lecture. The spiritual knowledge is the only thing that can destroy our miseries forever. Any other knowledge satisfies once only for a time. So what's the spiritual knowledge which actually speaks of? It speaks of the another dimension of our existence. That I am not this psychophysical existence. That because my real nature is being reflected here and I take this reflection to be real. Anything happening in the physical world makes me feel it is affecting me. In an ocean, There are lots of waves. There is only one sun. But each wave is reflecting the same sun. And the one sun as a reflection appears as many. And not only that, the sun is steady in the sky. There is no distortion, no deformation. But with each wave, as per the shape and size of the wave, We may find the sun is at the reflection in the wave is appearing to be elliptical. It may appear to be oblique. So the shapes may go on changing because of the shape of the wave. But in reality, the sun is not in any way affected. If I take the reflections to be real, constantly they are rising, they are merging, they are. There's constant change in their shape and size but those changes doesn't in any way affect the real sun so the real sun is here in this analogy we are just referring to the our spiritual our spiritual dimension which as the eternal existence as the eternal witness is always there behind our psychophysical existence which undergoes no change which undergoes no transformation. There is no birth of it. There is no death of it. It is always there as the same conscious eternal entity. It is known as the Purana Purusha. In Sanskrit the words are very significant. The word Purana is very significant. What it means Pura Api Navaiva is Purana. Means ever aging, never old. There's no transformation. Sometimes you will find that in our scriptures, you'll find that Brahma is represented as an old man with white beard. Even in other religions, we find when they're trying to draw God, he's an old man. Why? Because he's there for such a long time for eternity. So he must be quite old as if he was aging and after coming to certain age, that aging process has stopped. And as an old man, he is there now, eternal. So, that is the way we have our limited understanding. So, by the word Puran or this idea of transformation is contradicted. He is not an old person. He is Pura Api Navaiwa. He is ever young, though he is aging. Because that means there is no transformation. He is as it is. So, the question of any sort of suffering, any sort of inadequacy, doesn't arise in the domain of the spirit as long as we are attached to the reflection just like Narcissus that character Narcissus we discuss again and again he's a, he's a, he's a legendary character that is a prince who was highly self-obsessed he was extremely handsome but he was as a prince he had lot of royal responsibilities he would never take care of all those things He was so obsessed by his beauty, he would every day go to the forest and stand by the bank of a huge reservoir and go on seeing his own reflection, his own beautiful reflection. And one day he got so infatuated by it, he thought the reflection to be real and he wanted to embrace it. He jumped to in the with an attempt to embrace his own image, his own reflection and he drowned and died. So such a character, from such a character, this narcissist, the word narcissistic has came. that those who will find him extremely self possessed are called narcissistic. But in spiritual sense, we are all narcissistic. In spiritual sense. Why? That though we are the spirit, because of the ignorance, we forgot our real nature. We're seeing the reflection in this psychophysical existence. We thought to be real, it to be real. We jumped on it. And that's the cause of our drowning in this samsara. In this world of transmigratory existence, we got drowned in it. We have got entangled in the cycle of birth and death because of this identity. So the spiritual knowledge is the thing which enables us to come out of this ignorance and again to get established in our real nature. And then whatever may happen in my life doesn't matter me. In true spiritual sense, a devotee, a yogi never prays that, oh God, please uh, make the situations better. Please Help me to come out of danger. They never pray like that. That Their prayer is, in whatever situation I may be, O oh Lord, please keep my awareness intact about my real nature so that the world never overwhelms me with its problems. It is there. Spirituality is not an anesthesia which helps us to go in deep meditation and in samadhi and forget about the world. It's not an anesthesia. It's the uh, development of that awareness, that detachment. Everything is going on. I'm quite well aware of it. If spirituality meant anesthesia, it is just like becoming a vegetable which in no way reacts to the external response of the world. After all, spirituality is not going to make us veggies. We are quiet, alert, aware of what's happening. Everything is in my awareness, but at the same time there's a detachment. It is there, it doesn't touch me. So that's the question of transcending. So I transcend the problems of life by getting identified with my real nature. So that type of knowledge, the one who can deliver who can make man aware of that type of knowledge and help the man to come out of all the miseries. Miseries no more touch him. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that how the spiritual knowledge helps us, it helps us to get ripened like a ripened coconut. When the coconut is unripe, it is almost impossible to separate the shell from the kernel. They are so intertwined. You can never separate them. But how to find that the coconut has ripened? You take the coconut in hand and just shake it, you will find the kernel has got separated from the shell. It is just making noise, it has got separated and that's the sign that it is ripened. So Ramakrishna is saying that spiritual transformation is just like the ripening of the coconut. He's using this analogy that your real self gets separated from your psychophysical existence it's no more intertwined there's a granthi the chit jar granthi has broken the knot of the chit and the jar the conscious and the this inert matter there cannot be such a knot but because of ignorance it appears as if there is a knot and when the ignorance falls off the knowledge dawns in that knot is no more there and then and nothing can affect me in this world i'm beyond the all the so-called the miseries, the suffering, the inadequacies which we as if experience in this life. They are there, but they cannot touch me anymore. So that way it is the highest. So that's why that once you reach that state through experience, not through intellectual consent, not just through intellectual understanding, through experience, it, it happens, a real experience happens. And then that experience enables me to transcend that. It is not mere mere intellectual consent. For most of us, what happens when we hear these words, we feel, oh, it's wonderful. These are the idea which can help me to detach myself from the world. And we think that we are almost convinced that yes, this knowledge will help me. But at the time of crisis, we find this knowledge in no way comes to our avail. Why? Because it is just an intellectual concept. We have not realized it. It has not become something palpable as a fruit in your hand. As Shankaracharya used to say, this Karatala Amalakavat, the realization is just as a fruit in your hand. Unless the realization is there, that intellectual concept may make us feel that I have understood it, but we'll find it's of no avail at the time of crisis. So the spiritual knowledge is something which enables us to go to that realization. Once the realization is there, the world cannot touch me. So make this point clear, we will just resort to Swami Vivekananda's experience as a wandering monk in his own life. So he used to relate this experience in his lectures when he was in the West, that as a wandering monk, he was passing through the desert. He was passing through the desert and he was thirsty. So he was in search of water. And suddenly he saw a huge reservoir at a distance. There was a huge reservoir at a distance. So now, to quench his thirst, he started approaching that reservoir. And after some time, he found that the reservoir seems to be at the same distance. He is in no way approaching it as if. And then suddenly it vanished. It was no more there. And now he understood till now he have studied. There was an intellectual understanding of mirage. He has studied in the textbooks. He thought that he knew what mirage is. He had an idea, intellectual idea, but he have never experienced it. So it was in his intellectual, uh, as an intellectual concept, it was there. For the first time he experienced. But what's the result? He's saying the next day, again I am walking down the desert. Again, I see the reservoir. It's not that, that yesterday I have understood that it is a mere uh, projection. It's not something real. That doesn't mean that today I won't see. Again it comes. As I am in my body, mind, senses, again I see it. But today there's a great difference, Swami is saying. But yesterday, because of ignorance, I thought it real, and it dragged me towards it. In search of water, I was dragged towards it. Today it is there. I see it. But it has lost the power to drag me, to pull me. So this is the spiritual transformation. It's not that I don't see it. It is there. All the experiences of life are there as it is. All the ups and downs of life are there as it is. Spirituality doesn't mean that by praying God, I get rid of all of those things. Many people lose interest in spirituality by thinking I prayed to God, nothing happened. There's a wrong way of understanding spirituality. That's not the spirituality. The spirituality is the real, the spirituality actually means to get identified with your spiritual nature. That if you're a spirit, then why are you so much bothered about the physical existence? Spiritual word itself means something which has to do with the spirit. So once you're identified with this, you transcend, you don't eradicate them. You transcend, they are there in its own place, but they are no more affecting you. They cannot draw you. They cannot in any way affect your emotional faculty. You just can see it with with a sense of detachment. That's the spiritual knowledge. And when you reach that, you find what? That you have gone beyond all the miseries of life. And in the last stage of Ramakrishna's life, we find he was lying with that cancer. In those days, there was no treatment. It was extremely painful, the throat cancer. And someone asked that, do you feel the pain? How are you feeling? It must be something very, very painful. So Sri Ramakrishna's that uh, coplet has become very famous. Whenever he, it was asked, he used to say, jane, jane. the body knows its suffering. Thako. Uh, once you get identified, once you are, get spiritually realized, once you have the spiritual realization, the mind always dwells in the spirit. The body knows its suffering. The body with its suffering is lying as if uh, uh, is in the bed. But I, as the spirit, am totally detached from it. It in no way affects me. I'm always in bliss. The mind is always in bliss being established in its spiritual nature. So, So that's the idea which has been spoken of here. It doesn't mean that you just really destroy the miseries. You just like a very rich man, there is no poverty. There is, uh, you have taken care with of all, with yoga and everything your, of your health. So there is no disease. And that is spirituality. No, that is not spirituality. All those things are bound to be there. In this life, we cannot get rid of miseries. We cannot get rid of Jara, Vyadhi, Mrityu. They are there. Very nicely in the Mahabharata it has been spoken that throughout the life, in our attempt to get rid of Jara, Vyadhi, Mrityu, of disease, of decay, of death, what we are doing, we are as if playing a game of chess with Mahakala with the time, the great time, we are playing a game of chess. Very nicely. to how it has been mentioned. With all our yoga, with all our pranayama, with all our, uh, this uh, modern medicine, which sometimes we equate with our spirituality, that oh, that I am maintaining my health, I am just, don't look old, I'm quite, uh, what you say that, healthy, even at 70, 80, and, Many people think, oh, he's a spiritual person. That has nothing to do with spirituality. It is something merely physical. In the Mahabharata, very nicely it has been told. What it is told? That with all these attempts, what we are doing? We are playing a chase with the Mahakala. Our opponent is Mahakala. And we know who will win. We all know very well who will win. It is a great time. It is the Mahakala who is going to win. But still we go on playing. Why we go on playing? Why we go on playing this game? Just though we know that we are going to lose, the Mahakal is going to win, just to play one or two moves extra, nothing else. And I most probably would have been defeated immediately. One or two moves extra I can play, that much. How nicely it has been told. So it has nothing to do with spirituality. Sometimes we, we just go to such and such Baba and pray and say, what? That he has taken away all my miseries. So they will be just advertising see all the miseries has gone has the really the miseries gone is death vanished has you have averted it for the time being can you really avert it forever and that is the way we fool us in the name of spirituality that's not in any way spirituality that's why swami vivekananda used to say wherever you find god is the means world is the end it is in no way spirituality it is draws materialism for me the need of God is just to take care of my worldly needs. God is just the means. World is the end. I want this world. I don't want God. My prayer to God is a way, is a means to take care of my worldly responsibilities. It may appear as spiritual. That's why I'm praying to God. I believe in God. But actually it has nothing to do with the true spirituality. It is in some way just creating some patchworks. for the time being there was a tear in my cloth I create a patchwork and another new patch patch comes and another new another in another place the cloth gets torn another patchwork at last with all those measures we become a mass of patchwork it has nothing to do with spirituality with all those things we become a mass of patchwork the real spirituality is there that Swami used to say that a, a, a banyan tree lives for thousand years. Does it speaks of the spirituality of the banyan tree? It tortoise a leaf for so many, for hundreds of years. Does it speak that it has become, become spiritual? It is not the span of life. It is the awareness which we develop through our spiritual practice and to trans- transcend the all the so-called the Polarities of life the happiness the sorrow I can transcend them. I don't get identified with them That's the real spirituality and that's the way we destroy the misery not really by Getting rid of the misery by transcending them. So this is the idea which is at the very big beginning Swami speaking of spiritual knowledge Means that this transcending is the only thing that can destroy our miseries forever So why we are discussing so much because reading this line immediately we may confuse by thinking that the miseries won't be there. It's not that way, that all the happenings of life, I have almost no control over it, but I can transcend them and get rid of the miseries which befalls because of my identification. Any other knowledge satisfies once only for a time. So the so-called conventional spirit, our religion also falls in that it is only for the time. For the time being, I can avert. If I am hungry by taking food, for the time being, I can avert the hunger. It comes back. So that's the thing which is been spoken of at the very beginning. So now let us proceed, uh, proceed with the text. It is only with the knowledge of the spirit that the faculty of want is annihilated forever. So helping man spiritually is the highest help that can be given to him. So here very nicely, if you just read the lines, that it is how we can get them, how we can destroy the miseries, not by getting rid of the miseries, by destroying, annihilating the faculty of want. Once I know that these things are all trivial, it is just all a projection. It has nothing to do with the real me. So the faculty of want, that my desire for that, that falls off. When Swamiji realized that it is a mirage, so this, his willingness to go towards it, to drink water, that has fallen. It's not that the mirage has vanished, that the miseries, the so-called, the experiences are there, but my faculty of want, that is annihilated. And that's how you go beyond the miseries. So if you read between the lines, then the things become very clear. Otherwise, these texts can really be something confusing sometimes. Because it's so difficult to convey the spiritual knowledge. There's each and, at each and every step, there's a chance of that gap in understanding. And we just make a meaning which is just the opposite of the real meaning which has been uh, indicated in the text. So it is only with the knowledge of the spirit that the faculty of want is annihilated forever. So helping man spiritually is the highest help that can be given to him. So, in Bhagavad Gita, you will find that actually Swamiji is referring to Bhagavad Gita again and again. So, there is a sloka which speaks of that. That Sriyan Dravya Mayad Yagyad. Parantapa. Sarvam Karma Khilam Partha. Gyane Parisamapyate. So, the best Yagya, the best type of help. Yagya is help. The word Yagya can be uh, translated not exactly as help, it is actually a synergy, is a win-win situation where we are all contributing our, uh, the part which I am supposed to contribute and the whole becomes something more than the sum. Two plus two is four in mathematics. But in our day-to-day life we will find that the mathematics doesn't work. How? Just to give an example, suppose you keep a plank, you keep a plank over some uh, small canal to cross. Just to cross, you keep a wooden plank. And most probably that plank can take weight of 20 kg. If something is more than 20 kg, the plank will break off. So what I do, the same type of plank, I keep over it. I just keep over the first plank, another plank. So now as per mathematics, is this combination of these two planks is supposed to take a load of 40 kilo. But it has always been found that it takes more. It can now withstand 60, maybe 80 kg. So this is the summation of the parts. The whole is always greater than the summation of the parts That's because of the synergy. In this world, you will find that when, the more we are selfish, we can achieve nothing. The more we cooperate, then we will find if we sum up our endeavors, the result is something much greater than that. So that is the synergy. And that actually speaks of the idea of Yagya. So in Bhagavad Gita, this is the idea of yagya. It has been uh, uh, means highlighted again and again. So there it has been indicated. This Dravya, when you are trying to synergize only with the material things, compared to that, the Jnana Yagya is something greater. When the service is in the form of knowledge and this knowledge is not ordinary knowledge. It is actually speaking of the highest spiritual truth. So once you have the Yajna through that type of knowledge, then all the actions, this as if merges in that knowledge, but actually speaking of just to take a common example, in Ramakrishna Mission, at the very beginning, you will find that Following the Guru Maharaj's dictum, Swamiji the way Swamiji preached the words of Guru Maharaj that Shiva Jnana, Jiva Seva to see the Lord in each and every being and to serve. So this is the theme of the, one of the high one of the main pillars of the an entire Ramakrishna's ideology. That Shiva Jnana, Jiva Seva. So based on that, when Swami Akhandananda and the other direct disciples have started this, uh, all lots of philanthropic activities in the mission. When the flood was, when flood was there, famine is there, we find Ji has started that huge relief work in Murshidabad. Now, that's a wonderful thing. In, through that one act, two things are happening. The one to whom you are serving, for them it is dravya maya yagya. You are just reaching out and helping them through the materials, to food, through shelter, through clothes, you are helping them. But those who are serving, those novices who have joined the order inspired by the ideas of Swamiji, sometimes they used to feel that, see what a great work we are doing. It is we who are serving. And then we will find a famous quotation of uh, famous saying of Swami Premananda. Is it really you are serving? It is the people who have contributed. You are all mere beggars. You don't earn a single pie. All the things which you are giving has been given by this, the devotees by someone else. What you are serving? What are you giving? Are you giving anything? And then he himself is saying, it is your love. It is your attitude. It is your, this bhava, this attitude that I am serving the God of these beings. So that's, that's what you are giving. It's not the dravya which you are giving. It has been given by someone else. So this, those, those novices, those who are serving, being inspired by these ideologies, for them it is Gyanayagya. The same act, you know that they're in, uh, sometimes we say with one stone to kill two birds. So this type of philanthropic activities with the proper attitude is like killing two birds with one stone. But what is happening that yes, those who are the needy, for them, it is of course the Dravya Maya Yagya. They are needed, immediate. That is immediate need, but those who are serving they are they are having a different attitude it is not that that it is that you are kneeling down and i am the one who is serving you so swami vivekananda used to say it is the one who is serving should kneel down the one who is receiving the served he should receive the uh, the offering by the one who is uh, the one who is serving the serving the one who is serving he should kneel down and offer why because it is a big privilege. The Lord has manifested himself as the poor, as the wanted, it is he who came in that form to accept my offering. And now it becomes jnana yadgya. It Instead of uh, nourishing my ego, it becomes a process of self-purification. And what is actually the spiritual knowledge? The spiritual knowledge is not something which I have to attain. I, there's in Sanskrit, there are two words, prapti and apti. Prapti means to attain something which is not mine at present. I, through wealth, I buy something. It was not mine, now it becomes mine. Through knowledge, I acquire some position in life. I was not the doctor, I was not an engineer, I was not a teacher. My knowledge has helped me to reach that. That is prapti. What is apti? Apti is something which is always with me. Somehow I am—I have forgotten about it. That ignorance is removed, and again, I get—I just get back the awareness of it. In Sanskrit, they very nicely say the house lady wearing a necklace, a very uh, what do you say that a, some jewel she she is wearing, and she it is just around her neck and somehow she forgot about it and she thought it's lost and she's running about crying where is my necklace and then someone points out wow what what type of woman you are it is there just hanging around your neck she somehow forgot about it being busy with the other activities and someone points out then she founds she laughs at herself oh it was always with me i was just searching for it thinking it has been lost so this is the Thing which happens with the chitta shuddhi, the ignorance falls off. You don't attain something. It was always with you. The your real nature, the spirit was always with you. The soul is always my the real nature. I have never lost it. I was somehow forgetful about it. And then, this through the process of this chitta shuddhi, I again regain back my lost glory. So that's the thing. This helping man spiritually is the highest help. That can be given to him. So you will find that how nicely through the same uh, type of activity, the drabvamaya Yagya and the jnana yogya can go on spontaneously. So it's just the one who is involved, the one who is actually getting the help, He for him it may immediately be Yagya, but the one who is helping with the proper attitude, for him it can turn up to be a jnana yogya, and that is the highest. He who gives man spiritual knowledge is the greatest benefactor of mankind. And as such, we always find that those were the most powerful of men who helped man in his spiritual needs. Because spirituality is the true basis of all our activities in life. You will find a wonderful thing. Nowadays in the textbook you won't find the life of Jesus or of the Buddha or of any spiritual teachers. Because the science is the thing which uh, is the basis of our knowledge, academic knowledge. That though there is no formal education in the spiritual lines, even in the modern age, you will find that a huge population is drawn by these characters, these huge great figures, personalities. Thousands of years have passed by. We can never forget them. However conscious attempt to be there, to forget about them. Then may, we may say that so-called that religion is the opium of the masses. And we may try to forget about religion. At last you will find religion is a basic necessity. I can never forget it. It is the best, just the way you cannot live without food. Just the way you cannot live without water, without air. So this religion, the spirituality with us in hers. However, you try to get rid of it. There were attempts to get rid of all spirituality. You find in the Russia for 60 years, religion was banned. There was no formal practice of religion. The, most, the moment the ban was removed, it's a tremendous craving for spirituality, all sorts of spiritual uh, practices, all sorts of religious organizations you will find have been welcomed there. You cannot get rid of it. It is something inherent in human being. It's the basic necessity of man. You can get, never get rid of it. And those who provide that is the greatest benefactor of mankind. We can never uh, somehow uh, just think of our, our existence as a human being without this spiritual knowledge. It's impossible. And those who have, are the one who has went to that state of existence and comes back out of unconditional love to help out the mankind. They're the greatest benefactor of the mankind. Now it is the word mankind uh, is objectionable. They will say humankind, but we remain uh, uh, what you say that faithful to the text itself. So this is benefactor of mankind. And as such, we always find that those were the most powerful of men. They're the biggest motivator. Even in the present age, with all our rationality, with all our scientific advancement, can anyone mo- motivate us more than the spiritual personalities? Whether it be Jesus, or be Buddha, or it be Sri Krishna, or it be Sri Rama. We may just sometimes uh, say that they, are, uh, they don't have uh, proper historical uh, standing. They are something uh, in the borderline of myth and history in spite of all those rationality you will find they are still the biggest motivator of mankind. So there's, there's the biggest help we can think that they're the most powerful of men who helped man in his spiritual needs because spirituality is the true basis of all our activities in life. It is this, what, whatever I'm doing is a mere projection where the reality is the spirit. Just the example we give, what is the world like? You keep a prism in uh, front, in the, in the way of a light. Suppose there's a source of light, you keep a prism in, uh, in, the, in front of it. And immediately the prism will break that white light into a spectrum of the seven colors. The seven colors we say because all the seven colors we see, actually the spectrum is almost infinite. There are bands of light beyond the violet, ultraviolet, And there are bands of light infrared below the red, but we can see the spectrum of seven colors. So what's the idea? The idea is the white light breaks into the spectrum when the prism is there. When the mind comes into the picture, the conscious principle in presence of the cosmic mind breaks into the spectrum of the world. So the entire world is nothing but the light being projected through the mind, through the cosmic mind. it's nothing. The world is nothing but the spirit. But the spirit It's a projection. You remove this prism, everything resolves back again to the same white light. It is merged there. It was a mere projection because of the prism. So all the activities of life, nothing can be apart from the spirit. If everything is a projection of the spirit, then nothing can be apart from it. So that's why, that's why that urge is always there within us. To go to the source, that whatever may be the projection, that urge, because that's our so reality, that eco is always coming from within, that you are eternal, that why we are working, why we are endeavoring so much. Because something within us constantly says you are beyond all limitation, you are beyond all transformation, all imperfection. But in our day-to-day life, we find there's so much of imperfection, so much of limitation. Why? The thing which is actually echoing, that is really beyond all imperfections. That is the perfect thing. But now I see the thing echoed in something which is transforming. And I take that to be real. This echo is now making me to find that reality, that perfection in the things in which it is echoed. And that's out of ignorance, it's happening. That makes us to work, to to endeavor, to achieve something in life. But all these are happening because of the thing which is being echoed. So that's the true basis of all our activities. It is always there behind us. So the spirituality is a true basis. The one who can enable us again to get established in that there's eternal craving is there for that. They are the greatest benefactors of mankind. A spiritually strong and sound man will be strong in every other respect if he so wishes. Until there is a spiritual strength in man, even physical needs cannot be well satisfied." So this is something that we will find that Swamiji is uh, here again indicating that if you are strong spiritually, then you can be strong in every other respect of your life, even in your day-to-day activities. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say very nicely. The, in Bengali, the there's word, the words which used to say An adept dancer will never have a false step out of rhythm. Once you know dancing, when you're learning, when you're in the process of learning, you have to be very much aware of each and every step lest it falls out of rhythm. But once you become an adept dancer, You will find it happens spontaneously. Some music is playing. Your steps will always be in rhythm. You don't have to have an effort because you're an adept dancer. So spiritually realized soul is like an adept dancer. In our day-to-day life, constantly we have to go back to our conscience. What it is saying. Whether to do it or not to do it. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Or even if I have to do it, should I do it in a different way? So this is constantly baffling me. I have to take a conscious decision. I have to use my willpower. But for a spiritually established person, that is not required. Whatever he does is actually something you will find is the correct thing. That is what he does spontaneously. For me, that becomes sadhana. Very nicely, Shankaracharya has defined sadhana in Vivek Churamani, what? That whatever thing a spiritually realized soul does spontaneously, for me that is sadhana. For me I have to use my willpower to get established. As he has seen the truth, nothing can baffle him. So he will find in every respect of life, whatever he is doing is something that is the perfect, that is to be the ideal which is to be followed. Once we have realized the truth, for others it may be a sadhana. So that's what Swami is saying that we shouldn't think that a spiritually oriented person doesn't gain anything as per this, our material plane of existence is concerned. Here also you will find in everything he is a perfect because his mind has already, for, been regimented. You cannot reach the spiritual truth first by controlling your mind. That was the basic need. That was the means. You have regimented your mind, controlled your mind, disciplined your mind. And that ultimately has taken to the spiritual truth. So when you come back again to this domain of uh, uh, this existence, of this domain of this phenomenal existence, you are coming back with a disciplined mind. The mind has already been disciplined. You are coming back again uh, to the domain with a disciplined mind. So now all your activities spontaneously happens in a disciplined way because that is the mind. You don't have to discipline it by your willpower. It has already been done. So when you're coming back, you're already having a disciplined mind. And with that, whatever you're doing, it is, you will find you're doing the thing which is ideal. So that's why a spiritually strong and sound man will be strong in every other respect if he so wishes. Until there is spiritual strength in man, even physical needs cannot be well satisfied. Next to spiritual comes intellectual help. The gift of knowledge is a far higher gift than that of food and clothes. It is even higher than giving life to a man because the real life of man consists of knowledge. So giving knowledge is greater than just giving food very common way of saying it if you feed a man with one meal his hunger is abated for the time being but if you teach him cultivation if you teach him agriculture his hunger is abated forever so the gift of knowledge is far higher than the gift uh, than, than, than Higher gift than that of food or clothes. I still remember a very interesting incident with one of our Swami, Swami Lokeshwarananda. Uh, to him, uh, in uh, in West Bengal now, uh, there is a, a Muslim organization, Islam organization, educational institute, Al Amin Mission. The name is. They run a lot of educational institutions, and they're really excelling. And the students who were coming out, they were they are really performing well. And this huge mission, the one who is the founder, I met that person uh, when I was in India. He told a very interesting story. That he, as a student, used to go to our Gold Park a Center, uh, the Institute of Culture. There's a huge library. He used to go to... Uh, uh, refer books in that library. He used to time spend time in the library and in the process as he used to visit Golpark, he came in contact with the then secretary of the Golpaq, Swami Lokeshwarananda. A city senior monk, now he has passed away and he started having conversations with him. He started liking conversation with him. Now, once at the time of this, you know, that. Uh, before the Eid, for one month at the month of the Ramzan, so they will be fasting, the, all the Muslims, they fast from the uh, dawn to the dusk. Before the sunrise, they will have their food. And again, only after the sun sets, they will have their food. For one month, they do that. And they really, uh, what at that time, uh, they will find that all the uh, restrictions are there to lead a really, very really disciplined life. And after that, the Eid is there. Very nice idea. Swamiji used to say that if Vedanta is the brain, the Islam is the body. You know why? That Vedanta speaks of that the sameness, the Atman is in all. And so our relation to the world should be with that sense. That if the Atman, if the same soul is in everyone, we should relate to everyone with a sense of reverence, with a sense of empathy, And he's saying that Islam is the body, Why? The Islam has shown the structure. It has a framework, what the Vedanta is speaking, that framework that wonderful brotherhood you will find has been practiced in Islam. How it has been possible here in in the month of Ramzan, what they do is something very wonderful. For the one month they're fasting, they're keeping observances. After that, there is Eid. On the day of Eid, there's a huge celebration. And then the rich, those who are rich, they have to practice zakat. That a portion, a small portion of their wealth has to be given to the poor for, their, for feeding them, for giving them clothes. Specifically it is mentioned for food and clothing. The idea is wonderful. That after practicing one month at fasting, you realize, it is you who personally realize what hunger is. Now what you give your gift is no more just a duty it becomes an empathy it's out of feeling because you have already realized for one month the pangs of hunger now you really realize the one to whom you are reaching out a poor person to give food after that realization you have realized so now it comes out of empathy a sense of empathy reverence all those comes because of that practice i say how wonderful practices are there this is all the religions if you go to the source, you will find it has something wonderful, which has given it that strength. So this is there. So now when Lokishwangi was discussing with that uh, student about this practice, then suddenly Lokishwangi told one thing, that you collect a huge money at that time. At the time of Eid, the so-called rich, uh, all the rich Muslims as a part of their zakat, they contribute a huge money. And in one day, on the celebration day of the Eid, you just distribute clothes, you give food uh, to the poor, there will be huge feasts, banquet. But in one day, it's all over. Why don't you use that money to establish some educational institutions? So now, this student, he found it's a very good idea. Yes? So now he went back to his own uh, this religious bodies, the, all those who are the one to uh, decide on uh, this act because after all this money of the zakat, what they have to do, that has to be decided by all the authorities of the body. So when he went to them, first they were, it was bluntly refused. He told, no, it is specifically mentioned in our scriptures that it has to be given for food and clothing. How can we give it for education? So this student again went back and told Lokishwar Nandaji. told a very wonderful thing. If you give education, then at last, that is actually used for food and clothing only. If you just give it for food and clothing, in one gift it is over. But if you give them education, they grow up. Now they are self-reliant. Now they can go on getting their own food and clothing throughout their life. Isn't it indirectly giving food and clothing? So you make a man self-reliant and now he becomes capable for getting his own food and clothing. It is because with the help which you have given. So this is the idea which really appealed. He went back again. Now the authorities were really convinced. And this, from this amount, from the zakat amount, this educational institutions came up where really the unprivileged children are getting chance for the education. And I myself have witnessed, even in the school where I was there, the students from there, from the secondary school uh, of Al-Amin Mission, they came and were admitted in our Mission Ramakrishna school for the highest secondary. And they were really intelligent students. They did really well in their educations. They are all established now. So so you just see that gift of knowledge is much higher just, just than the giving of the food and clothes. So that's the thing Swami Vivekananda stressed when Swami ji was continuing his relief work in Murshidabad, famine. At the beginning you will find in the letters of Swami Ji is praising Akhandananda, oh what a great job, that's what I wanted, you are really practicing what I am preaching. And after a few days when he heard that the uh, famine condition is much better. But Akhandanandaji has kept his armhouse open. Why? There are, after all, poor people in the village who cannot afford their own food and clothing. For them, he kept those armhouses open. Now we find Swami Vivekananda is discouraging in another letter. He's writing that immediately stop those armhouses. Why? Very nicely say, saying that if you give away the entire wealth of the world to one village, a day will come, it will be exhausted. And then again, they will spread their hands. To make them, make them stand on their own feet is the greater gift. Make them stand on their own feet. So that's the idea that yes, when the dire situation is there, we of course move out with the physical help. But as a long-term, as a long-term help, immediately we have to think that how they can self-sustain themselves. And that's only through knowledge. So that is a greater help. Swami Vivekananda's instructions, even if you find is acknowledged by the Tata Center, it is written in their manifesto. When Tata, uh, Swami Vivekananda was going to the West for the first time in the ship, he made Jamshedji Tata. In those days, Jamshedji Tata was just doing business. He never thought of uh, opening any educational institution. It is Swami Vivekananda who is suggesting Jamshedji Tata. Why don't you have some institute where our children can be uh, taught the technical skills so that they become self reliant? It is from those ideas of Swamiji, you know, the Tata Institute, the Indian Institute of Science in Bangalore, is a very, very uh, reputed institution. It is even considered as uh, at par with the IITs, even something sometimes better than the IITs. That institution was actually started by Jamshedji Tata being inspired by the words of Swamiji and it is being acknowledged even at uh, in present by the Tata Institute. That is the inspiration of Swamiji that worked behind it. So what's the idea, this wonderful idea. I heard in Calcutta, some of the political leaders are giving lecture that there is no need for Swami Vivekananda because we have removed poverty. How much true it was there we don't know whether the poverty is really removed. Even if the poverty is removed that's the wrong way of understanding Swamiji. He never spoke of just giving the poor. His uh, seva was mainly based on the idea to make a man self-reliant by knowledge and that need never ends. It's always there. So they're they're always uh, uh, what you say that way their need is never over and after all Swamiji are the, st- the spiritual personality. They are the stature to give us a spiritual knowledge. How can we just limit him to giving in uh, in giving in some physical needs help? So that's the idea. If we don't have proper understanding, then it's we who lose, that we get cut off from the huge spiritual treasure, which we have. So that's what we find in this each and every line, what wonderful message is actually uh, hidden there. If you just go between the lines, you will find a, a vast uh, 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 span of knowledge, which was practiced, which was not just uh, uh, delivered as speech. It was practiced in their life, which is coming out as sutra. These lines are like sutras. They're coming out as sutras, whose, whose explanation is not only in their lectures, it is actually in the acts of their life. Their life is the explanation of these words, it is condensed in these words. and the more we discuss, the more we, it, gets, it gets alluded. So with this, we stop our discussion today. You will find that each, this, each and every chapter of Karma Yoga is actually embedded uh, Im- with a lot of treasures. So as we go, we will find. So we will proceed with this lecture again in the next class. With this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you. Namaskar Swamiji. Thank you very much. Namaskar. Namaskar, Namaskar Swamiji. Thank you. Namaskar. Enough, Shami, you want Thank you, you Sharmiji. Nice